Hi everyone. Um, I'm Dr. Louisa Sun. I'm an infectious diseases uh, physician uh, from NUHS. And uh, welcome to the third episode of um, Questions and Answers with Professor Dale Fisher on uh, COVID-19. Um, so, hi, Prof. Dale. Hi, Louisa. Hi. Um, I have uh, my first question is actually um, with a little bit of a selfish slant uh, because this uh, directly affects my work. Um, and a lot of uh, the work of our colleagues, um, is that um, the Academy of Medicine in Singapore and jointly with the National Centre for Infectious Diseases has just released a position statement a few days ago um, to, uh, have a, to inform us on the period of infectivity uh, for strategies for de-isolation for COVID-19 patients. Um, and previously, we used to actually um, rely on two negative swabs for any COVID patient before we um, say that they were fit for de-isolation and discharge. Um, however, now we are using a standard 21-day um, uh, of illness onset for which they're able to be uh, discharged and de-isolated. Um, I was just wanting to understand a little bit more about you know, how these discussions uh, came about and how this decision came about. Yeah, thanks, Louisa. It's really a, a natural progression. Um, I think the first thing to remember is uh, two negative swabs is, is a very unusual approach, as you know, in infectious diseases. We don't, uh, we don't see people that have got the flu and then swab them at the end to let them be clear to go back into society. We don't do it with, with chicken pox or measles or anything like that. We just, mm -hmm. uh, we, we manage these clinically uh, and with what we know of, of how, the, how the virus works. Um, so already we're, we're a little bit uh, over the top or, or very cautious in this with the two swab rule, which, which really started in China, uh, the China mission. That was one of the, the lessons we brought back is that's how China cleared people and, and indeed still do. Um, and not every country has ever done that, actually. Uh, most of Europe, uh, US and, and Australia don't do the clearance swabs. Uh, not that they're necessarily good examples, but uh, but but again, uh, th that's the way other people do it. So what we what uh, was done in Singapore, we we know that you can be be uh, PCR positive. So there's two tests: the the PCR, which is the swab that's actually looking for the virus, and then there's the antibodies. So let's put the antibody test, the serology, to one side. Now mm. we're looking the, at the PCR. And as you know, uh, we've got a patient actually that's 60 something days and still PCR positive. Um, so the question is, does this make, make this person infectious still? Uh, or is it just like dead virus or, or dead bodies or bits of virus? And obviously the best way to know that is, can you culture it? Is it actually still alive? Now, culturing is very difficult anyway, and even when someone is infectious, you can do a, a viral culture and it can be negative because it's, it's actually a difficult process and, and you can't do it uh, easily. Um, but we know we've never been able to culture it after, after 14 days. Um, so what else can we do? We've got a PCR, we've got culture, let's look at a thing called whole genome sequencing. Can you actually find the whole, uh, the whole virus? Mm -hmm. And we actually find that um, 
if you've got a, a thing called a CT value, um, which is the, the cycle threshold for doing um, the PCR, if, the piece, if doing the PCR has, uh, you need more than 30 cycles um, mm -hmm. to, to actually get a positive result, then, then we also find that, uh, that those ones, you can't do the whole genome sequencing. So this is a little bit technical now that we know that you can't culture and that you can't do the whole genome sequencing if your CT value is above 30. So now we look at, we can look at a whole lot of results to see at what day does this, this, the, the CT value go above 30. If it's, if it's say 20 or 25, then that means you don't have to work as hard to make it, to find a positive result. So, so, so a low value means that there's, there's, there's more, uh, more virus around. And this CT value is, <clears throat> is not positive, uh, sorry, is not above 30, is not below 30 after 14 days. So therefore we can extrapolate that at 14 days, you can't, you, you can't get a CT value under 30. Therefore you can't do whole genome sequencing and you can't culture. So therefore we're saying 14 days makes you very safe. But just because medicine's not perfect, let's build in seven days insurance, if you like. So that's where we get the, the 21 days from. Okay. Can I loosely interpret it into that being at uh, after 14 days, we're pretty sure that um, through all the um, looking at all the tests that have been done on positive patients, that um, their viral load or a surrogate for the viral load is too low. Um, and therefore, we don't think that and it's not transmitting viable virus. So therefore, we don't think they're infective anymore. Correct. But because nothing in medicine is 100%, there's that, that's why people are allowed to spend the last week uh, in isolation or in quarantine, but you can go home because the risk mm -hmm. is, is a lot lower. And that also gives a, a huge benefit because the resource, because there's so many cases in Singapore now, the resources mm -hmm. to do all those swabs um, is, is, is complex. Mm -hmm. um, getting the people to do all the swabs, doing all those tests, and it's not just two negatives, of course. You do a negative, you do a negative, and then one's positive. Then you've got to do two negatives again. So, so it can people can end up having many, many swabs, uh, and and this is progression of our knowledge. This is not changing the rules. This is now we're in May or or June now. Um, we know more than we knew in in February when these first rules were brought in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, certainly. Okay, so um, now I think at this point, we're two days away from the circuit breaker being um, lifted in Singapore, or rather a very, very gradual modified lifting of the circuit breaker for phase one. Um, we touched a bit upon this last week um, as to how we might be feeling a bit apprehensive actually, um, seeing how people might think that, you know, when we talk about being able to lift the circuit breaker is an indication that, you know, we've kind of beat the virus or we've defeated the virus at this point. And we kind of know that that's not true. Um, and I was just wondering whether we can, again, dive into this a little bit more 
and uh, talk about you know what Singapore's approach to it has been, um, and compare it with other countries who've been you know out of the circuit breaker uh, for about two three weeks. Um, we've seen uh, obviously some rebounds uh, in China in South Korea. Um, otherwise, Europe seems to be doing a little bit. Um, I mean, they seem to be quite stable. I'm not sure whether we're not hearing uh, much about what's going on there. Um, but uh, what is the general kind of take on how we should lift the circuit breaker? And also, you know, what should people really um, still be careful about after, you know, even uh, when we say a circuit breaker has been lifted? So the... Uh as you know, uh, I'm extremely nervous about this. I'm glad the way Singapore is doing it. It's, uh, in fact, some people have criticised that there's hardly any difference after mm -hmm. after tomorrow or, or whenever. Uh, school schools are going back. Um, some more businesses are allowed to open. Um, the the foreign workers obviously will will still um, uh, not be released. They're they're not. Uh, they're not ready to come out of isolation yet, but hopefully that'll be in the next few weeks. Um, it has to be slow. It has to be very, very cautious. Um, and, and indeed, people that um, uh, maybe they're allowed to go to work now, I'd still say even if you uh, can work at home just as effectively, then still don't go to work. Um, th this needs to... This is not over by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you, you'll have noticed on the MOH website that there are still, um, when they did the the sweep of the of some of the nursing homes and and staff and preschool teachers, there were a small number that were positive, and 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 many of these are unlinked. So, mm -hmm. if you swabbed the whole country, I'm sure you would find many more cases. Um, and these can only be dead-end cases, dead-end meaning they got it from someone but they didn't transmit it, if, if measures like the circuit breaker are in place. But I still believe there's a small amount, very small amount, of under-the-radar transmission happening, and this is why we've seen in, in Korea they, they were going really well. Uh, they had the nightclubs outbreak. Now they've got the e-commerce centre outbreak. And and they've uh, tightened things up again. They've uh, they've uh, asked for more vigilance in in religious um, events, closed their their parks and their uh, museums and art galleries and things. So so they've had to to wind back a little bit. Um, and they've said if it continues, then then they'll, they'll ramp it up even more. So the question is, when not if this happens in in other countries. Are they going to try and ride it out? Which we've got many examples where riding it out hasn't worked. Um, UK, New York, um, Italy, Wuhan. <laughs> um, what, what? If people try to ride it out, then again you get just too many deaths, overwhelmed health systems. Um, it's uh, it's tragic. And what what's going to be the mindset of the people? Um, when government says, uh, I'm sorry, we have to lock down again, um, there, there's simply no choice. We've got tens of thousands of people dying. Mm. 
Um, and we were talking about um, what other measures may eventually, I think, you know, help life to return to a so-called normalcy, whether that be a new normalcy. Um, and one of those things is uh, vaccinations. Um, and, you know, we've heard of uh, seemingly some breakthroughs or some trials that have progressed. And I'm just wondering where we're, where we stand with that at the moment. So again, COVID-19 is bringing out some, some very strange practices. Uh, there's, last time I looked a few days ago, there were 125 vaccines um, under, undergoing um, work. Um, 115 of those are still in preclinical trials, but 10 of them are in uh, phase one or two studies. Um, and every time uh, there's any good news, that is released. And, and it's released, well, A, the public want to hear about it. So I, I, I get that. But you don't hear about every time there's a new uh, drug for hypertension, for instance, that the, they've, they've got good results from their phase one trials. Phase one trials are small trials. There might be, you know, 30, 40, 50 people in it. Um, they're first in human. And, um, and they're really to see if there's any devastating side effects, basically. Um, so you do it in, in young, healthy adults uh, with, with no side effects, and you really just try and see that there's no, no glaring problem. Uh, if, if you're lucky, you might see that there's been an antibody response, um, and, and that's your result from that phase one trial. And then, then you're ready to go on to, to, to phase two and phase three, which are obviously... Uh, bigger trials, uh, and and probably a broader population as you go through, maybe doing it on some elderly and things like that. Um, so why are they releasing the results so early? Um, they can sell their vaccine. Uh, countries will buy a vaccine before it's been proven to work, and and this obviously helps the the research. Um, uh, and the country that buys it has got. Uh, got, a, I guess, an early early access to it if it is shown to, to work. Um, and also, it's this, 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 the share price of the whole company could, could benefit from, from news like this. So it, it's, it's kind of sad, but also I, I understand why this, this practice is happening. And, um, and, and that's where we are with vaccines. We're, we're exactly where we thought we'd be. We, we thought that in April, May, we would have the first vaccines in phase one trials. And that, that's where we are. Mm -hmm. But um, obviously then we should be aware that this is really not the answer yet. And there is still you know, quite a long way to go before we really be able to prove whether a vaccine is efficacious and safe. And um, certainly, you know, with the dates that are given uh, for the circuit breaker, be it phase one or phase two, um, we shouldn't let our guard down at all. And we should really still observe, you know, measures like our wearing our masks outside, social distancing um, and good hand hygiene. These basic measures that have been promoted again and again um, to really keep ourselves and everyone safe, uh, be it in our families or at work, um, as a way not to you know, have the have the uh, cases suddenly shoot up again. And as, as we said, we don't want to overwhelm our healthcare system at any one point. And that will, that's the thing that will cause, you know, the death rates to go up, um, to overwhelm our, our healthcare system, our economy again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, I just have one last uh, topic, and again, it's kind of revolving around a couple of cases that I've uh, seen or heard about uh, from my colleagues as well. And um, there are seemingly some cases, and it's been talked about too um, in several different countries, that have had their symptoms, um, these are COVID-positive cases, that have had their symptoms uh, resolve, and then they come back with um, uh, flu symptoms again. And we're just wondering, you know, whether there's any point testing them. And if they test positive, is that just, you know, that they were still shedding the virus? Does that mean that they're newly affected? I suppose this relates to something about, you know, uh, whether uh, they are really immune to the virus and whether anyone really knows and how to test for that. So th this does keep, keep cropping up. Um, so he here's what we think is that that the antibodies work, uh, it would be extremely unlikely to think someone got better and then within weeks actually um, got it again. Mm. Uh, so, so it's almost certainly non-viable virus that's being found uh, hovering around the, the cutoff of that uh, CT value. So maybe if they're, they're, they're 35 to 40, they're, they're uh, they're, they're non-infective, non um, but it's just sort of the, the dead bodies, if you like, of the virus are, are hanging around. Um, and why have they got new symptoms? Uh, we think it's, uh, it's something else probably that uh, with you know, a different virus, a, a common cold or flu or something like that. Um, that's what we think. Uh, I guess you can't write off the possibility that... Um, that there could be a chronic sort of uh, recrudescent disease or sort of subacute presentations. Um, I'm not writing off that as a possibility, but I'm unaware of any of these people actually spreading the disease to anyone else. So that, that link hasn't been documented. So that's why the first theory that I put forward is, is by far the most accepted. Mm, okay, and I think that's quite reassuring. Um, all right, so I think that everyone is going to be just waiting to see what the circuit breaker lifting will bring. Um, although, again, we'd highlight that, you know, we'd uh, just everyone to be aware that the lifting of the circuit breaker really doesn't mean that the virus has been defeated. Um, there are several measures still in the pipeline, you know, to try and develop vaccinations. And then we're waiting to see how those vaccinations work as well. Um, but we'd still advise everyone to really follow social distancing measures, um, to wear their mask when they're outside. Uh, and yeah, as well as let, me come, yeah. let me come back in there, Louisa. I think it's yeah. important, uh, as you say, nothing has been achieved yet in any mm -hmm. country. Every country has had a problem of varying scale mm -hmm. and they've locked down. That, that's basically what, what most places have done. How big the outbreak was, how severe the lockdown was, that varies between countries. But basically, everyone has, all that's been achieved so far is countries have gotten into trouble and they've locked down. Nothing else has happened. There has been no achievement. No one has unlocked successfully. And we've got examples now where, where uh, people have had to tighten up again. So if we were to predict something, as Singapore unlocks, you could predict 
that will need to tighten up again and any other country, Australia, UK, Europe, um, even New York, ev everyone can expect because this is what we're seeing in Korea and China. Mm. Now, in terms of immunity, uh, Manhattan is 22%. So probably the, the, the worst of all the epicenters still has nowhere near herd immunity. Uh, Sweden, which prides itself on going to herd immunity, its rate was 7.2%. Uh, that was early May, so it's probably a little higher now, maybe 10%. Um, and they've had 4,300 deaths. So even Sweden, who's going through this in a somewhat controlled uh, strategic way, they still have to do this seven more times. New York, Manhattan, not the, not the state, that's much less, central New York City, um, still at 22%. So they need to go through this two or three more times to get to herd immunity. So no one's got herd immunity. No one has come out of lockdown. So really nothing, we're, the biggest danger now is complacency, people feeling like they've won. Uh, yet we're just as vulnerable and and I'm scared of what's going to happen in a lot of these cities actually mm. my passionate outcry for the ending <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a really important message and thanks Prof dear, for you know emphasizing that as well so um okay we'll uh, end off here for today thank you very much for your questions and continue sending them in as well as your comments are all welcome and we'll see you again next week Thanks, Louisa. Thank you. Bye-bye.